You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latinoamérica in Foco. América Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Something surprising happened to the Mexican peso since Donald Trump took office. The currency, which took a beating throughout the U.S. electoral race, has been staging a comeback. So what's in store for the Mexican economy? This is Karen Zissas of ASCOA Online. I spoke with Jorge Suarez Vélez, an economist and columnist with Mexico's El Financiero. He told me about what's working in Mexico's favor, as well as against it, as we head into the Trump era. Thank you very much for talking with me today. My pleasure. To start things off, uh, I wanted to ask you about the Mexican peso, because over the course of the U.S. electoral race, the peso became the currency to watch uh, and seen as an indicator of how Donald Trump was doing. If he made gains, the peso fell. Um, and it fell even more after he won. So some have been a little bit surprised that since the inauguration, the pesos actually made gains. And I wanted to get your viewpoint on that. Why do you think the peso has been gaining ground uh, since January 20th? Well, as you probably know, it's a national uh, sport to try to guess and second guess why the peso does what it does. But uh, I think that um, uh, the first thing that is always important to consider when talking about the peso is the size of the market. I think that uh, being such a broadly traded currency, uh, at times the peso uh, moves uh, because it's it's one of the currencies that is really broadly used for hedging or for having or expressing opinions on Latin American or an emerging markets. Now, having said that, I do think that the originally the main concern was the fact that it was broadly perceived that uh, uh, Trump win uh, put a lot of things at risk for Mexico, particularly uh, in terms of NAFTA, which, as we all know, has become a very, very uh, structural, important uh, um, strength of the Mexican economy. Uh, Mexico uh, has become a the by far the most important uh, exporter of manufactured goods in Latin America, bigger than the rest of Latin America combined. And uh, the, the mere fact of anyone uh, questioning if, if NAFTA had been a good deal for all three partners uh, was was a source of, of, of uh, concern. Now, um, I think that um, the reason why uh, I think we've seen a strengthening of the peso was that it's better understood what are the limitations of the executive within NAFTA. It is very better understood as well that um, even without NAFTA, uh, as long as the United States stayed within uh, the World Trade Organization, which I think is what uh, uh, everyone would expect, and, and if it weren't, then the problems for the world economy are so, so much bigger than, than what we're discussing, that that is almost uh, a scenario that is not even worth uh, covering. But if the United States remained within within world organization rules because of uh, uh, most favored nation clauses, uh, the level of uh, duties that Mexican 
uh, exporters would pay to the United States is very, very similar to what is currently being paid uh, through NAFTA. The big losers in that sense would be American exporters that uh, in some sectors would see uh, tariffs that they would have to pay skyrocket. So I think that once this this kind of uh, angle is being better understood, then there's a little less uh, apprehension about the impact on the Mexican economy. Mm-hmm. Having said that as well, I think that there is another angle to the apprehension that I think uh, is um, is of concern, and I'm not sure how fully um, discounted it is, which is the impact that all this is having on foreign direct investment, and I would even say on domestic investment in Mexico, both of which I think uh, uh, will meaningfully slow down, and both of which I think will have a very negative impact on growth at the end of the Peña Nieto administration, which is probably uh, creates a whole uh, group of other concerns. And, and there's another side to this apprehension, which um, in Mexico, people sort of watch with bated breath as, as to what's going to happen next, what's going to be tweeted next. Um, and it seems that every time there's a senior Mexican official in Washington, President Trump starts talking about the wall. So. We had in January uh, President Peña Nieto canceling his visit over it. And more recently, Trump talking about the wall on the same day that Secretary Vidigaray was in Washington to meet with U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Um, So do you think Trump wants to negotiate with Mexico? And how should Mexico approach it? I think that that is probably the other area where uh, Mexicans and Mexican even media are starting to understand a little bit bit better uh, what is going on here. I think that um, a lot of the tweets and the noise, I think, have much more to do with the very peculiar negotiating style in which uh, uh, Trump wants to weaken the adversary and uh, uh, adopt positions that are very, very, very extreme. Uh, in order to move the middle point much more uh, to to uh, the side that is convenient for him. Uh, but as uh, things evolve, uh, I think that what we're realizing is that um, he's starting to say some things that make us uh, realize that he does understand that the United States does need Mexican prosperity, that... Uh, that the playing with Mexican prosperity can be a very, very dangerous game for the United States in a whole number of fronts. So that's, I think, I think one one area. I think the other area, and there, probably I'm speaking more for myself, but but I have to, to openly admit this, is that when I start seeing people that are negotiating on the Mexican side, I mean, the other day I heard this very long interview of Ildefonso Guajardo talking about the position of Mexico on NAFTA, or I was present actually at the Council of the Americas in this lunch with uh, with uh, uh, our Secretary of State uh, Videgaray. Um, I think that the one thing that we were reminded of is that we have really smart negotiators on our side. I think that when it comes to trade, I honestly think that uh, Mexican uh, negotiators could could run circles around the American or Canadian ones because they've been doing it so 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 many times. And no, no country in has more trade agreements than Mexico. So I think Mexico has really developed a very clear expertise in terms of what are the uh, key uh, points that need to be discussed, what are the, the key elements that can make a, a, uh, an agreement successful. Um, and, and once you start seeing this, I think you start uh, um, 
being a little more realistic about what what the impact of all this can be. So, going back to your question, I think that that uh, for for Trump and his team, I think this is uh, a there's a learning curve, and I think they they're starting to understand that that maybe uh, by playing these games of of weakening your your counterpart to negotiate, uh, they could be shooting themselves in the foot. Talking about trade deals, you know, as, as you uh, uh, referred to, Mexico has a large uh, trade deals with a large number of countries. It has over 40 trade deals. And one of the proposals has been to for Mexico to cut back its dependence on the U.S. economy um, and to diversify its trade partners. But if we look over time from 2005 to 2015, Mexico went from having 88% of its exports go to the U.S. to uh, over a little over 81 percent um and that's uh, over this time of of, of trying to diversify so as mexico is starting to talk about um, advancing uh, negotiations with the eu uh, and with other countries and looking at other places how do you see that working out for mexico particularly given its its geographic proximity to the united states i think there's uh, in my opinion three tiers to this i think one has to do with uh, mexico being forced to look into diversifying uh, because at uh, times it appears that like uh, uh, there's a, a protectionist stance uh, in, in the United States. This is not desirable, but, but I think at times you have no choice but to do it. I think that um, uh, Mexico particularly, uh, uh, to, to enhance its uh, negotiating stance, I think needs to diversify particularly its imports and particularly its imports of agricultural products. Uh, agricultural experts from the United States are very geographically concentrated in areas that are very Republican, that were very pro-Trump, uh, and, and that in in uh, many ways would really suffer if, uh, if uh, Mexico started buying uh, uh, corn and soy and all these things from uh, Argentina or from uh, Australia or from other, other possible suppliers. So I think that, that part, I think, has, has to do with negotiation. But I think there's a second part that has to do with what you were saying. I mean, Mexico and the United States are not going to stop being neighbors regardless of who's uh, at the helm. And uh, I think that there, there's a very natural complementary uh, uh, profile of our economies. Mexico is a very large economy with 120 million people younger than uh, the profile of the United States. Uh, what Mexico has proven is that when uh, supply chains get integrated, uh, Mexico adds a lot into the supply chain. And uh, interestingly, I, I know uh, you've seen studies, a lot, a lot of studies come, have come recently, but there was a study that I, I actually cannot remember where I read it, but it was a, a credible source. They were studying uh, what is the impact in the car industry of lower wages in Mexico and, uh, and what is the impact of uh, using Mexico as the exporting platform for North America because of the number of trade deals that Mexico has. Uh, to my surprise, the impact of, of low wages in Mexico is relatively small in terms of the, of the uh, final uh, price of the car. But the huge advantage is uh, that Mexico is a very efficient platform to export to uh, countries and regions with whom Mexico has uh, trade agreements. So I think that the one thing that that uh, breaks my heart when I start hearing uh, protectionist arguments or or um, 
for all these arguments that many people uh, seem to center on, on Steve Bannon, uh, someone who has uh, championed bilateral deals instead of a broader multilateral deals, is that uh, I really think that what has been happening in the last years between Mexico, United States and Canada, it has been extraordinarily smart. I think that uh, what we've seen, I, th I think one of... One of the things that has been most important that has happened in the last decade has been a huge shift in supply chains. And I think that shift uh, um, it, it expresses itself in two, two forms. On one side, I think that what we've seen is a contraction of supply chains uh, that allows uh, companies to carry less inventories and also allows companies to uh, be more reactive to changes in demand, to, to be able to, demand much, uh, to react much quicker. I think that in that sense, uh, uh, what we saw in the last years in terms of uh, reshoring uh, production to the United States and nearshoring it to Mexico in order to be uh, be more efficient, I think is 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 dramatic. When you bring into that equation what is happening in terms of technology in the United States, automation, robotization, uh, all these things, and and uh, changes in, in uh, dig uh, 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 digital printing in terms of a lot of new technologies, when you see the whole combination of what each country brings to the table, you know, Natural Resources Canada, American technology, innovation, Mexican uh, labor, plus uh, extraordinarily competitive trade environment, the North America really kicks ass. I mean, it's really a region that that is very, very hard to to uh, compete against. When you consider the impact that gas, American gas, is having because of the fracking revolution, because of everything that is going on on the energy side, again, right? I mean, what you see is that this integration. I think that in in a world that is not growing much, uh, where where the world economy, I think, is is has been relatively stagnant and in my opinion is going to be even more. I think that the the one thing that North America was achieving was that in a pie that was not growing, our slice was growing because of being very competitive. And I think that this is something that we should not uh, put at risk. And, and that I think is one of the biggest challenges that we're facing. There's been a great deal of focus on U.S. ties. But Mexico has its own issues to, to deal with as well, uh, such as rising inflation and, and discontent over gas prices and corruption. Um, and all of this is happening in the lead up to elections in 2018. Um, looking beyond U.S. relations, what do you think Mexico needs to focus on at home? I think you were asking what's happening with the liberalization of, of, uh, of gasoline prices in Mexico. Mm -hmm. I think this trend is crucial. It's fiscally crucial because it it one of the uh, biggest um, uh, the, the the biggest waste in in terms of fiscal resources uh, that we've seen in uh, during the last decade, in my opinion, has been any moment where there's been subsidies to consumption of gasoline. So and and uh, these are at times been very very meaningful. I think that the liberalization of prices, I think, is is very very smart. And uh, absolutely necessary. I think that was something that Mexico has to start realizing is that there's a lot of investments that the government should not touch. They, that uh, Mexico needs infrastructure for distribution of, uh, of energy and particularly here of gasoline. Mexico needs uh, uh, much more storage capacity. Mexico, so it's a lot of needs that Mexico has that. Uh, uh, the, the need has grown throughout the decades because of the Pemex monopoly. 
And I think that the cost of this monopoly has been so huge that I think uh, once and for all, Mexico, Mexican people should understand that this was really a bad idea and that what you need is to uh, put in place the right conditions so that private capital is the one investing, but ensuring evidently that you have competition, that uh, that there's a, that there's a very, very free market where prices send all the signals that are necessary for this, this uh, investment to, to happen in an efficient way. So now, what is the challenge of this? The challenge of this is that this is being now uh, um, um, this this process of liberalization has been been uh, implemented by a weak government, by a government that is not very popular, by a government that is facing a lot of credibility issues, is strongly tarnished by uh, uh, its own corruption, and and I, that is the other face actually of the coin of what I was just talking about a little while ago. So when I was hearing these uh, uh, Mexican officials talk about their different topics, and I was thinking, you know, these guys are, are very smart and they're technically very qualified and they, they really know what they're talking about. What there becomes very exasperating is to realize that in many cases they've lost credibility because of corruption. And I think that's a very bad thing because uh, in some way, by uh, not having behaved uh, uh, morally as they should, I think they're putting at risk the paradigm. I think they're putting at risk uh, that people uh, associate uh, a government that has been uh, pro-markets, that has been has uh, has uh, enabled reforms that are historically extremely relevant. I mean, if you look at what happened with the energy reform in Mexico, I think it's it's absolutely changing the course uh, of development for the Mexican economy for the next 50 years. So this was this was not only successful but extraordinarily important and politically very very difficult to to achieve the the tragedy here is that something that was so big and so good is now being sort of questioned and tarnished because of corruption and uh, and that is totally opening the the door and setting the table for uh, uh, populist uh, uh, movements internally so I think that is that is a very very uh, uh, dangerous situation uh, I think the big fear that many of us have is that, uh, the the lower growth uh, in the in the next two years that in part can be triggered by uh, all the doubts uh, around NAFTA, all the immigration uh, tensions, all the uh, wall issues. So if all this translates into less growth in Mexico, then uh, not only are the last two years of the presidency going to be uh, uh, much more complicated politically. But it really can uh, make uh, 2018 elections very dangerous for Mexico. Great. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more, visit as-coa.org.